Hopefully I won't turn this off like I did yesterday, putting it in my pocket. Alright, let's see here. So one of our professors, every time he has to do this, he always says, Alright, so I'll just start saying, well, good morning. So everyone listening to the recording will think there was some audio issue and not know what's going on and that it was a joke. But uh, So again, we are from uh, SES, from Southern Evangelical, so there's more info out there if you guys are uh, interested. And I do want to make mention, if you were here for the Q&A yesterday, uh, there's some good questions about what do we do now, how can we go deeper, all that sort of things. And uh, we have this online program, it's just a self-study program. You do it on your phone, on your computer, whatever. Um, and it's, you'll get our intro to apologetics class that all of our students take, uh, but you don't have to do any of the work. Uh, and then there, there are different modules that you take through this apologetics course uh, to get a certificate of completion. Uh, so it's not for credit, it's just if you want to go deeper in your own studies. It's completely at your own pace, totally online. Uh, and there is a discount code, CBC30, that you can use just this weekend if you're interested and want to save a little bit money, save a little bit of money on the 195, but just want to let you know about that. There are some other flyers and stuff uh, out on the table. If you want to learn more, we'll be happy to talk to you about it. But you guys are not here to hear about that. You're here to hopefully talk about this, if it will go. Oh, come on now. Well, at least it's happening at the beginning instead of uh, in the middle. Play. What in the world? There we go. All right. Love is love. Or is it? All right, so let's take 15 seconds. Shout out as many love songs as you can, uh, as you can think, of, think of off the top of your head. Go. Love me tender. Love me tender. What? One word. One word? Okay. You guys don't listen to the radio? Oh, it, was call, it was Calling Dr. Love. Calling Dr. Love. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Come on. Chip Chip I don't know about that one. Muskrat Love. There you go. That's what it is. Close. Close. All you need is love, right? Love me dear. Love me dear. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus loves me. <laughs> That's a good one. If we thought long enough, right, we, we could make a list of... Love is a many splendid... Yeah. yeah, something like that. Love is a many splendid thing. There you go. There you go. We could keep going, right? I mean, there, there are thousands of songs of, about love. Thousands of movies and books. The point being, it's a very, uh, very popular topic in our culture. So in spite of all the diverse issues that, that polarize our, our culture currently, everyone seems to agree that love is really important. Whatever that means, whatever love means, because we use that word all the time in many different ways, right? I love my wife. I love my kids. I love pizza. I love the Tar Heels. I mean, you know, we, we use the same word for many different things, and they mean similar things, but I don't love the Tar Heels the way I love my Wife, right? So whatever love means, well, I hope not. Yeah, it's debatable. Well, she's a Duke fan, so sometimes it's debatable. But <clears throat> on game day, uh, but whatever love does mean, we we seem to think it's important. Everyone seems to think it's important. Uh, we hear First Corinthians thirteen quoted at weddings all the time, even atheistic weddings. You don't even believe the Bible, and they'll quote. 
1 Corinthians 13. We know the Bible tells us God is love. Uh, some folks think love is God. And they worship love instead of God. Whatever love means. Well, I want to show you at least one idea of love. background. First Corinthians 13. Now the website, if you go to this website, it says, what in the world is going on with this thing? Wi-Fi is uh, sleepy this morning. Before anything else, we're all human. It's time to embrace diversity. Let's put aside labels in the name of love. 
Unless you disagree with this opinion. I'm not going to embrace that diverse opinion. Um, I show you that because I saw that on Facebook several months ago. Uh, I have a kindergartner now, so we're getting up the crack of dawn and getting ready for school and all this. Watching cartoons, 6.30 in the morning for a week. This came on during cartoons while my five-year-old is watching. Now, there's some truth in there. There's, there's some good ideas there. But I think there's very, some, some very confused ideas as well. And, of course, that's what error and deception always is. A little bit of truth mixed with a little bit of error to make it look really good. But it pulls at your heartstrings, doesn't it? It, it kind of gets you right there. And not crying on Sundays, bigoted church. Love is patient, love is kind. That's what the Bible says. Uh, and after the recent Supreme Court decision, this was the logo on the White House's website. Uh, and again, we're judging ideas here. We're not judging people. All people are created equal. All ideas are not. And we're called to judge ideas. Uh, President Obama said this after the uh, Supreme Court decision. Everyone is using the hashtag, love wins. We've made our union a little more perfect. Those who fought for same-sex marriage slowly made an entire country realize that love is love. So this idea of love wins and love is love, these kind of bumper sticker slogans, are really being wielded as swords against those in our culture who disagree with this idea of love. So why is that? Well, I think one of the big reasons is because our culture defines love with one Word. You ever know what that word is? If you were here yesterday, you can't cheat. I'm convinced it is this word. Affirm. And I've explicitly asked before in a panel discussion if loving someone meant we have to affirm their beliefs, desires, and behaviors. And some people said, well, I don't know what affirm means. This is what affirm means, in case there are any questions. But the answer I was actually given was, yes. To love someone, someone means to affirm their beliefs, desires, and behaviors. And of course, if you don't affirm their beliefs, desires, and behaviors, then you're not loving that person. And if you're not loving that person, by implication, you're hating that person. And so to express any opinion against their beliefs, desires, or behaviors, regardless of how respectful and rational that you do it, is hate speech. And it's intolerant. And it's bigotry. And all these other uh, buzzwords. So I think this is illustrated with this, this uh, kind of campaign we see now known as Safe Zones, or the Safe Zone Initiative, or, or however you want to term it. So you should do campus ministry at UNC Greensboro. It's a big thing at UNC Greensboro. So if you're part of the Safe Zone, you have a sticker on your office door, you have a flag in your window, or whatever the case may be. So the, the, the whole idea is that if you're labeled as a Safe Zone, then this is a safe place for you to come be yourself. Because we will celebrate your beliefs, desires, and behaviors. We love you. So this is what UNCG's website has to say about this. UNCG Safe Zone is a campus group of student, faculty, and staff allies that support gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, queer, questioning intersex, and asexual individuals who promote understanding, acceptance, and appreciation of our LGBTQ students. Now, please understand, this does not mean we appreciate them as human beings, right? 
All people are created equal and are valuable and should be loved, truly. Nor does it mean we uh, accept them or appreciate them just as merely human beings. What it's saying is, is we accept and appreciate their beliefs, desires, and behaviors. And that's what love means, according to this view. Campus Pride, a uh, uh, LGBT advocate website, says LGBT students need to know who on campus is safe and supportive. Again, not just supportive as I love you as a human being, supportive in that I celebrate your beliefs, desires, and behaviors. There's uh, Wesleyan University in Connecticut. Actually, I think Dr. Little mentioned that last night, uh, that same campus with a different issue they're dealing with now. They have a building on campus called Open House. Now, I'm not sure if this is like a frat house. I'm not sure if it's just a place people go hang out. After I read this to you, you'll realize I don't want to step foot in that house, and you probably don't either because you want to shower immediately afterwards. But this is what they say about Open House. Open House is a safe space for generating interest and a celebration of queer life from the social to the political to the academic. And then they list 15 letters representing different sexual orientations, gender identities, and all of these sorts of sexual preferences. 15 letters. So LGBTQ it's stretched out to 15 letters. I don't even know what all they represent. But just notice that it's the celebration of this. And that's what love means in our culture. And sadly, a lot of Christians are buying into this uh, understanding of love as well. Rob Bell, very liberal pastor, probably Oprah's uh, pastor, she has him on all the time, says, I think culture is already accepting of gay marriage and the church will continue to be even more irrelevant when it quotes letters from 2,000 years ago is their best defense when you have in front of you flesh and blood people who are your brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and coworkers and neighbors, and they love each other and just want to go through life. So we should love them too and affirm their beliefs, desires, and behaviors. So the Bible's antiquated, and we just need to recognize these beliefs and desires and preferences and behaviors and affirm that if we really want to love them. Now, I think this topic is important for you guys because this is one of the biggest reasons young people are walking away from historic Christianity. Because they've bought into this understanding of love, and so they see historic Christianity as being outdated, bigoted, intolerant, hate-filled, and all these sorts of things because they misunderstand what love means. So if we don't have a proper understanding of that, to be able to communicate that to them, well then we're just fueling the fire and we're not really uh, helping. So there's a problem here though. Because I would say I'm motivated by love. And I come to opposite conclusions as the safe zone and Rob Bell. And I also agree that many of them are motivated genuinely by love. But they come to opposite conclusions of me. So, if we're both motivated by love, how can we have opposite conclusions? How can we know who's right? What, how do we adjudicate this, this really contradiction here? Well, I'm going to be blunt and say simply just quoting Bible verses or always talking about God's plan for marriage and God's plan for sex. And the Bible says this, well, all of that may be true falls on deaf ears in our culture most of the time. has really no more weight than a Muslim coming in here and saying, well, the Quran says X, Y, Z. And you would say, 
Good for the Quran. I don't find the Quran authoritative because I have no reason to believe that it is. Well, if the people we're talking with find the Bible is antiquated and not authoritative, what difference does it make to them what the Bible says about sex and marriage? I think we can do better and appeal to the reality we all share in common. Dr. Little was talking about this a bit yesterday. And really get below the... Most Christians hold... It's just a little philosophy here. Most Christians hold to divine command theory today. Something's good just because God says it. Boom. The end. Well, no. Why does God say that this is good? Why does God say what He does about sexuality and about marriage? Well, because God created reality and He's not going to contradict that reality. And as we'll see in a minute, just examining reality, we can get a little below the surface and see why God says what He does about these things. And that it's to will our good. And that He's not a sadistic, uh, mean tyrant who just has some weird uh, interest in our sex lives. It's not that uh, at all. So the Bible's not written in a vacuum. It's not read in a, back, in, a, in a vacuum. We have to do good philosophy in order to properly understand what the Bible says and, and, and to properly apply it, I think, to our lives. And actually, this is what Paul calls spiritual warfare, the, this war of ideas. And we demolish arguments, as he says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, with good arguments and by thinking well. So to that end, in our few minutes together this morning, I think we can challenge this misguided understanding of love and by implication understanding of hate with these bumper sticker slogans by looking at three questions. What is good? What is love? And what now? What do we do with this information? So let's jump into the first one. What is good? Now, everyone seems to agree on some level that it's good to love others. It's bad to hate others. And I agree with that. But what exactly does that mean? Why is that good? Without this uh, an objective, true for everyone, regardless of what you think about it, it's what objective means. Well, it's the objective standard of good. Then no one can actually say it's bad to hate anyone or it's bad to bully someone or that it's good to do anything else. So kind of like love, we use the word good in a lot of different ways, right? So that was a good game yesterday. Um, my wife made a good meal. She's a good wife. You know, we, we use the same word for many different things. Again, it has a similar meaning, but the good game is not good in the same way that a good wife is, right? So what exactly does good mean? Well, classically understood, good is not uh, whatever someone happens to like, whatever you happen to choose or decide, or uh, you know whatever you say is good for you. Classically understood, good has a very specific meaning. Okay, and this may sound a little complicated, but I'll break it down. It's not that it's not that difficult. So, good is that which fulfills the end or purpose of something according to its nature, according to what. It is. Okay? And I'll break that down for you in just a second. So something is good insofar as it is in being. Insofar as it exists is the kind of thing it should be. That is that it lacks nothing it should have according to its nature. According to what it is. So just think about skeletons, right? So someone born without a skeleton. Would that be a good thing or a bad thing? 
be a bad thing, right? Because people are the kinds of things that need skeletons, right? Uh, how about if, um, if your ears don't see well? Do you have good ears or bad ears? If they don't see well? You have bad ears if your ears don't see well. Are you sure? Ah, really? So if your ears don't see well, that doesn't tell you anything about their goodness or badness, right? Because what are ears for? For hearing. So if your ears don't hear well, then you have bad ears, right? But the ears are not the kinds of things that see. So do you see what's going on here? You have In order to know what is good for something, you have to know what that thing is, right? And notice here, this is completely objective. It does not change regardless of your preferences. No matter how bad you want your ears to see, they're not that kind of thing, are they? You can't change reality. You simply observe it and accept it, and then you should will what you do according to what you know, right? according to truth. And also notice that it doesn't matter the reason for your eyes not seeing well or whatever, whether it's completely genetic or you had an accident or whatever. If you were born blind and it's no fault of your own, it's completely genetic, that doesn't mean you have good eyes, does it? No, it means you have defective eyes and they don't fulfill the purpose towards which they're directed. <clears throat> so it's evident, as my friend just pointed out, that we can know things. Like, wait, your eyes are, your ears are not the kinds of things that see. We just, we know that, right? So we can know what an apple is. We can know what a tree is. We can know what people are. And because we can know things, we know the nature of those things. And then we're able to determine what their ends are for, what they're purposed towards. So we can know what is good for them. Now, it's obviously not a moral bad if someone's born blind, right? I mean, that, that's not a moral good or bad. So how does morality fit, fit into this? Where does moral goodness come from? Well, let's quickly go through this. Right? We all pursue what we take to be good for us. Now, we can, we can be wrong in our judgment on what is good, but nobody pursues something they know is bad simply because it's bad. Okay, so I always use the example, I eat too much pizza or too much fried chicken yesterday. Man, it was some good chicken from some barbecue place up the street that they fed us. I took a piece home to the, to the hotel and had a snack later, but it was good stuff. And I knew I shouldn't have done that because I ate all the, you know, crispies and all that, and I know that's bad for me. But the good of the flavor or whatever outweighed the fact in my mind that I knew I shouldn't have eaten that, right? I didn't eat it simply because it was bad. I ate it because of the good of the taste or whatever the case may be, okay? So we all pursue what we take to be good for us. Reason tells us what is actually good for us because we can know what things are and what constitutes their good. So the rational or moral person will pursue what is actually good for them. So the moral uh, decision comes in because we're rational beings. So we willfully choose to pursue the good or not. That's what makes us moral creatures. So why should we be moral or rational? 
Well, because of truth and the good. So our intellects, like our other faculties, are, is directed towards a purpose. Namely, knowing things, pursuing and attaining truth. To deny that fact, I think, is really to demonstrate it. That on a practical level, you just know this. Because if someone says, wait a minute, that's not true. Say, like, ah, thank you for demonstrating the fact that your intellect really only wants to assent to things that are true. You're actually trying to grasp the truth of this matter. And so our intellects pursue the truth, and then our wills should follow our intellects and pursue the good, based on what we know. Now our culture has flipped that. right? Our culture is led by its will and by emotions, and then we use our intellects to try to justify what we're going after, what we want to be good. But what should be the case is we know things, we see the truth, and then we willfully choose to pursue the good. So we all should follow upon intellect rather than the other way around. Now I think Richard Dawkins, a famous atheist, illustrates this. And I'll just really quickly give you this, this story. So in uh, River Out of Eden, he writes that the universe is at bottom. What we would expect if there is no purpose, therefore no good... Right, because good follows upon purpose of things. No evil, just blind, pitiless indifference. We dance to the music of our DNA. Okay, so that's what he writes in River Out of Eden. In the God Delusion, he tells the story of Kurt Wise, uh, a Christian who's a young Earth creationist. I don't care how old the Earth is. I'm not here to have that discussion. A Harvard-trained geologist studied under Stephen Jay Gould, the the famous um, what was he paleontologist, I think. So he had this brilliant career in academia ahead of him. Well, he was convinced the earth was young. He didn't think he could have an, a career in secular academia holding that view. So he left Harvard. I think he's the chair at one of the uh, seminaries, Southern Baptist seminaries now. But Dawkins in The God Delusion says, What happened to Kurt Wise is contemptible. It affects his life's happiness. And that's why I hate organized religion. In so many words, he's saying... It was wrong for Kurt Wise not to use his intellect to pursue truth. What Dawkins thinks is true. Because he's after this crazy young earth nonsense. And it's contemptible. It affects his life's happiness. But Mr. Dawkins over here, you just told me there are no purposes to anything. There is no good. There is no evil. So all you're doing is expressing your opinion. Our intellects can't be directed towards the truth if there are no purposes in things. But you can't live this way. Reality, is, as Dr. Little said yesterday, reality is going to bump back. You can only fight reality so long before reality bites you back. So based on this understanding of good, if we're correct, and I think we are, is homosexual behavior and by implication same-sex marriage good? Does it fulfill the ends or purposes towards which we're directed as human beings? No, it can't. Actually, it's completely contrary to them. It follows that because we know what human beings are, we know what the good of our sexual faculties is for, and that we have completely self-contained systems except for our reproductive system, right? We only have half. And we need our complement to complete that system, physically and Emotionally, And so to act contrary to that 
is necessarily a bad thing. It can't possibly be good. So, just a really brief... This, we're doing natural law here, okay? Understanding the nature of things and figuring out what is good for them. Alright? So, it's called natural law. Um, so, just a really brief nutshell natural law argument for this is our sexual faculties have two purposes. Procreative, obviously, and unitive. Okay? So, um, homosexual... Well, let me just say this. Homosexual behavior is obviously contrary to the procreative end. It's necessarily sterile. There's no possibility of procreation at all. But it's also contrary to the unitive end. Because even emotionally, we're directed towards our opposite. Jay Buduchesky says homosexual behavior directs someone to a looking glass idol of the self. And, and, and that is necessarily a bad thing for us. So... This, I think, also entails that the purpose of marriage is this lifelong union of a complementary couple to support each other and to raise the kids that naturally occur from the sexual union. Okay, that's just what marriage uh, is. So, is any of this good? Is same-sex marriage a good I would say no. In fact, I would go so far to say it doesn't even exist. Because it's just, just not what marriage is. So same-sex friendship can no more be called marriage than a square can be called a circle. So no matter how many laws we pass saying otherwise, you can't change reality. You could pass a law tomorrow saying 2 plus 2 equals 5, but it doesn't change what a 4 is. Right? The sum of 2 plus 2. So you, again, you can only fight reality so far before reality uh, bites back. Now, our culture has, and the church too, sadly, most of the time, has rejected this understanding of good and of things having natures and purposes towards which they're directed. Okay? There's this is your $5 word for the day. The, the, the kind of accepted view, just this absorbed today in our culture and in the church most of the time, is called nominalism. Okay? Nominalism. So it's the idea that things, with, that things don't have essences or natures. They're just all individual things. Not one and many, just one. Individual. One here, and one here, and one here, and one here. Well, actually, just many, I should say, probably. Um, so we don't have, we don't all share a human nature in common. All those things out there with green leaves and everything don't share treeness in common. We just label them as trees, but they're not really trees. Okay? But I think this results in absurdity because to say, well, all those things out there with green leaves. Now, that's just what we call trees because they share things in common. What do they have in common? All those green leaves. What are green leaves? Oh, you know, those little things out there that are green and they have veins. Well, what is green? What is a vein? And you just keep boiling these concepts down to eventually you have an infinite regress of things you're trying to explain that end up explaining nothing. Even the very concept of nominalism itself we're all talking about this weird, abstract, philosophical idea. But we're talking about it. Because we all share 
the idea right now in our intellects. You don't have your own individual concept of nominalism, and you have your concept of nominalism, and you have your concept of nominalism, and I have my concept of nominalism, and then we're just not talking about anything. No, we're all talking about the same concept of nominalism right now. So Peter Kreese says the very sentence saying uh, all trees are just loose and separate things assumes that all trees share something in common, <laughs> namely treeness. So, so nominalism really ends up resulting in, in, in self-refutation. But the point of all that is ideas have consequences. And, and to just absorb this idea of nominalism really has led, I almost said this in the Q&A yesterday, I think it has led to almost all of the, of the issues that we're dealing with uh, right now. So let me give you an illustration of this. Justice Kennedy, who authored the... the uh, majority opinion in the recent Supreme Court decision on same-sex marriage, said this in 1992 in a case about uh, Planned Parenthood. At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. See a little bit of nominalism there? There is no... There, there are no essences of things that we come to know. There's just whatever we decide reality is. And that's the heart of liberty. And we get to define our own concept of meaning and all these things. Of course, when you stop and think about it, uh, why should I believe that this is a good thing for everyone? Is this not your own personal view of reality? And how do you expect me to even understand what you're saying in this sentence if I give my own meaning to everything? Now you're assuming that the meaning you meant is contained within this sentence and that I'm able to actually understand that meaning. Again, you cannot live this way and it ends up being self-defeating most of the time. But what this does is elevate man's will, like we talked about a while ago, it elevates man's will above the intellect, and ultimately above reality, which just is a house of cards. This is a book I'd highly recommend to you, Making Gay Okay, by Robert Riley. He's not arguing for homosexuality. He's explaining why we're in the state we're in. He says, This removal of the objective quality of human acts, and this, this denial of, of natures of things, leaves the true reality of things residing in man's desires or in his will. Morality is reduced to human intentions. In other words, an act such as sodomy has no meaning in and of itself, apart from the meaning it happens to be given by the person acting, i.e., what he intends or desires the act to be. As a consequence of this, we are unable to say that the act of sodomy is inherently wrong or right, but are required to look to the person performing the act. It is according to his interior disposition or desires that the act becomes evil or good. Relativism, which is just the idea that we all make up our own good. Relativism inevitably concludes in nihilism, which is the idea that there is no purpose to anything, nothing matters. And the ultimate expression of nihilism is the supremacy of the will. So the point being, a rejection that things have natures leads to a rejection of an objective natural law, objective goodness. Okay, And this ends up making good up to the individual. But of course, some individuals agree with each other, so they group together and they get power, and then it becomes might makes right, or this group gets to enforce its morality on the others, 
which we couldn't actually say is wrong because there is no actual good or evil on such a view. And so we end up with chaos. Actually, we end up with this culture, basically. Uh, This has implications to the abortion debate, same-sex marriage debate, all of these things that we're dealing with uh, in our culture. Okay, But the point of all this is if there is no standard of goodness, then you can't say it's wrong not to love someone. You can't say that hate speech is wrong. You can't say that bullying is wrong. You can say those things, but you're just expressing your own opinion. You can't, say that, you can't truly say that that is the case for everyone and that no one should act this way or that everyone should act this way. Does that make sense? Hopefully you're getting a little bit of that. You can't judge anyone for actually being unloving. But hopefully, as I've argued, there is a standard of goodness and we can make such arguments. So that leads us to our our really main question, which is, what is up? Here we go. What is love? So hopefully with just a bit of reflection, you can see that love can't mean just affirmation. Right, that leads to absurdity. If we affirmed every belief, desire, and behavior someone has, well, my critics don't affirm my beliefs, desires, and behaviors. So either they don't think we should love everyone, which is contrary to what they say, or they don't actually believe what they're saying. Or, probably what is the truth, they're just so confused, they've never stopped long enough to think about what they're actually saying. Actually, according to their own standard, they should be the ones charged with hate speech and bigotry and intolerance because they're doing the very thing and not affirming my views as they say we're doing with their views. Okay. Now, I think love does involve affirmation, but what exactly are we to affirm? Well, Thomas Aquinas, one of my favorite philosophers, says, To love anything is nothing else than to will the good to that thing. Our love, whereby we will good to anything, is not the cause of its goodness. But conversely, its goodness, whether real or imaginary, calls forth our love, by which we will that it should preserve the good it has and receive besides the good it has not. And to this end, we direct our actions. So in other words, love is to will the good of another. Now what is the good? As we've said, that which fulfills the end or purpose of something according to its nature. So one's feelings about the good can be wrong. Everyone has desires on which we ought not act. That's why we need to learn what things are and understand this objective standard of goodness so that our wills follow upon our intellect and we properly love those uh, around us. So again, to use homosexual behavior as an example... It's necessarily bad behavior. So if I truly love a homosexual person, I'm distinguishing between desires and behaviors here, okay? If I truly love someone with these desires, well, then I'm not going to celebrate and affirm those desires so that they lead to behavior. That's not love. I'm willing their good, so I lovingly help them battle these desires. And again, we all have desires on which we ought not act. Now, strangely enough, this is exactly what the Bible says. Remember, uh, love is patient, love is kind. But if we read on in context in 1 Corinthians 13, love does not envy, is not boastful, is not conceited, does not act 
improperly. It's not selfish. It's not provoked. It does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Wills the good of another. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Alright, so let me get a little sober for just a moment. I've been told this explicitly and implicitly, uh, that these types of views, or the views that I've espoused, lead people to kill themselves, or to cut themselves, or uh, just struggle with harming themselves in various ways. I struggled with this for a while. It, it was it, it had a tough couple of months last year at doing campus ministry at UNCG. Um, there's nothing that should lead, lead someone to this, right? Nothing. Everyone, regardless of your actions or whatever, is a valuable human being uh, that should be properly loved. That we will the good of that person. But the truth of the matter is, usually when someone gets to this point, there are other factors co-occurring that, that, are, that are fueling these emotional issues, right? So they may be manifesting themselves as homosexual desires or the desire to be the opposite sex or whatever the case may be. But there are other factors co-occurring that are really fueling these emotional issues. In fact, Dr. Paul McHugh, he was a psychiatrist, I think he still is, psychiatrist-in-chief at John Hopkins, stopped performing sex change operations years ago because he saw that the people to which the operations were performed still had the same emotional and social issues they had before the surgery. Now, they didn't necessarily regret their surgery, but they didn't fix their problems, okay, because there were other things deeper that were causing the problems. And again, we all have desires on which we ought not act. So a person is not defined by their desires, if we were defined by our desires, none of us would stand a chance uh, because we all struggle with this uh, at some level. So we're all human beings are valuable. They're directed towards the good. And the loving thing to do is to point people to what is actually good for them. So part of the struggle I had last year just real quickly with at UNCG was with a liberal campus group we had some big disagreements on these issues, okay, publicly and privately, and finally had lunch with the, the leader of this particular ministry and realized we just had completely opposite ideas of ministry. We wanted our critics to come to our group and ask questions and interact. They wanted to be affirming and to celebrate everything and to keep critics out. Well, don't advertise your events publicly if you don't want critics to come. Uh, that's a different issue. But I genuinely believe he was motivated by love. I really, really do. I think he loved his students. And I think he actually identifies as genderqueer or something. And he has students who, who uh, struggle with this, with cutting themselves and contemplating suicide and all this. So I have no doubt that he was genuine in his motivation. But what I wanted to say at lunch that I didn't say is, you're the problem. You are digging them deeper in this hole of being defined by their desires. And telling them that's who they are as human beings. And if someone doesn't affirm their desires, then they don't love them. And they're actually hating that person. And then, well, of course you're going to feel miserable if you feel like half the world hates you. You're the problem. I know you're trying to help, but you're just digging them deeper and deeper and deeper into this abyss. This is very sad. 
was this a misunderstanding of the good and of what it means to actually love someone. So what about someone like Bruce Jenner? Okay, so he's not a homosexual. Not hurting anyone, quote unquote. He just wants to be a woman, right? So should we celebrate that? How should, how should we react? I have a friend from UNCG, an alum now. He's the son of a former pastor, now professing atheist. Now also professes to be asexual. So he's just gender fluid and wants to just be whatever he wants to be that day. And expresses femininity and all this stuff. Started a new Facebook page for himself with a different name and said, you know, if you friend me, you're implicit agreement that you're supporting me, which he meant you're affirming me and you're going to celebrate this with me. I sent him a friend request and we had this little interchange on Facebook. He said, well, hey man, how you doing? You saw my, my post, right? Did you read all that? Yeah, I read it. I do support you because I love you. But what do you think that means? And we went back and forth a little bit and never heard from him again. But I ended it with saying, don't you for a moment think, because I disagree with your behavior and of your understanding of reality, that I don't love you. It's because I do love you that I can't fuel your delusion. Because you're simply confused. And, you know, he wants to celebrate diversity and all these things. And I said, well, if you're going to surround yourself on Facebook with people who think just like you do and affirm everything you feel, believe, and desire, then how are you being diverse? (laughs) You're just sheltering yourself from any opinion that offends you. That's not diversity. That's just closing yourself off to the rest of the world. So what would it mean to love him? Well, what is love? To will the good of another. So is it good to mutilate your body and to pretend, even if you don't mutilate your body, just to pretend to be the opposite sex. Well, no, that's contrary to reality. Therefore, it's contrary to the purpose towards which you're directed. And so it actually would be the worst form of hate for me to do that. I would be willing Bruce Jenner's annihilation if I celebrated him as Caitlin. Because that's not who he is. I'm willing him to be something he's not. That's not love at all. So what is a human being? That kind of factors in uh, to this whole thing. Come on, Wi-Fi, hang in there with me. Let's try again. Having some hiccups this morning. Play, play, play. Alright, let me just do it manually. Sorry. We'll be there in 10. That was a joke. Sorry. (laughs) There we go. Alright, stand by. Alright, so what is a human being? Well, like we said a while ago, we're not merely our desires, nor are we merely our bodies. A human is a body-soul composite. Okay, so you may have heard, I think it's attributed to C.S. Lewis, I don't think he actually said it. You may have heard the little quip, Uh, you're not a body. You are a soul. You have a body. That's Platonism. Okay, that's false. That's like you're a ghost in a machine just operating this meat machine kind of thing. No, you're a body-soul composite. That's why we await the resurrection, right? So absent from the body, present with the Lord, but you're only half a person. That's why the resurrection is so important. So our soul is united to our resurrected body to make us 
a complete person. So we are not merely our bodies, we are body, soul, composite. So if this is true, and I think it is, then it's impossible to someone for someone to have the wrong body. You can't be a female soul born into a man's body. Okay, those are like Disney movies like Freaky Friday or something. That just that's not reality. Alright? You're a body soul composite. So to deny the truth of your body is to deny reality. If you have a man's body, by nature you're a male. If you have a woman's body, by nature you're a female. What is good for you as a male or as a female is the purpose towards which you're directed according to what you are, right? And again, to pretend that some misdirected desire to be the opposite of what we are is a good thing is not love. It is to deny reality. But of course the question always comes up, what about those born intersexed? Right, where they, they have male and female parts. How, doesn't that just blow this argument up? Well, no, actually, this occurs in about 0.018% of the population, a truly intersexed condition. Okay? Uh, and doing natural law here, we're not doing mathematics. So we're, we're doing general principles here. So there are difficult situations that we have to navigate. All right? And this is one of those difficult situations. But we have to remember this is a valuable human being, and genetically, they're either male or female. Now, physically, just looking at someone, we may not be able to tell. All right? But genetically, they're either male or female. So what this does is present an epistemological challenge. That is, it presents a challenge in our ability to know whether this is a male or female. It doesn't present a metaphysical challenge. That is, it doesn't change the fact that they are either male or female, even if our ability to know that truth may be hampered. Okay, does that make sense? So there's a big distinction there. And the fact is, again, just like blindness, genetic disorders happen. It doesn't mean that the person to whom they happen is any less valuable or anything else, but it doesn't also mean that these aren't disorders, that they're they're things that have gone uh, awry. Alright? So, what now? Just to wrap up very quickly. What do we do with this? Well, again, I truly believe people on both sides of this divide are motivated by love. But hopefully you've seen that love actually means to will the good of another. And the good is that which fulfills the end or purpose of something towards which we're directed. So true love means we will the good of another. So why should we be involved in this as believers? Well, we're called to be salt and light. In a dark world. We're called to love our neighbor, are we not? The second greatest commandment. So we're called to will their good. Right? And again, I already expressed the fact that, um, that, that this is one of the big reasons young people are walking away. But I think we do well to remember, I'm not going to read this, to remember 2 Timothy 2, 24-26. That those who disagree with us are not the enemy. They're captured by the enemy. And we're called to love them enough to share the truth with them. 2 Timothy 2, 24-26. And this is not an easy process. It's not a quick process. This is, a, 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 even in our culture, this is going to be a long-term thing. We didn't get here overnight, and we're not going to change it overnight. But I think we need to remember that this should be the true safe zone. That all of our interactions with folks should be true safe zones, where we actually love people. 
Now, of course, the truth that we're talking about has to be communicated in a winsome way, in a respectful way, in a gracious way. But we need to remember, what would happen if Ruth Jenner walked in here right now? What would happen if, uh, if a homosexual couple came in here right now? How would, how would we treat them? How would we react? How would I, how would I react? I, I don't know. It would be awkward, for sure. Would we shun them? Or would we love them? Not affirm their behavior, but will their actual good. Okay, But they would need to realize, once we hopefully explained it, what love actually means. Right, And for me to disagree with their behavior is only because I do love them. And I would actually be doing the opposite if I celebrated them and affirmed them. So again, there's there no doubt that this whole love wins and love is love, this whole mindset truly has love as the goal most of the time. But a safe zone, as we've talked about it, is not safe. Nor is it love. It's a very dangerous thing. And you know, God wants to take us in, in, in our purely natural states. He, he's the good towards which we're all ultimately directed. And He wants to take us in our, in our natural states to do a supernatural work in our lives for His glory and for our ultimate good. Now, Os Guinness says, Freedom is not the permission to do what you like. It's the power to do what you ought. Justice Kennedy needs to understand this. That true freedom is not to define reality however you choose. True freedom is to be free from the chains of deception and understand reality as it is and pursue the good towards which we're directed. Which I think is why Paul writes in Galatians 5.1 It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. And do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Once we've trusted in Christ as our Savior, it says God's righteousness is applied to our accounts. So we don't have time to talk about how amazing and mind-blowing that is. But it does mean that we don't have to struggle trying to be good enough. Because none of us are ever going to be good enough. But we've been freed from the deception and from the chains of sin to live as we ought to pursue the good as Christ makes us more like Himself day to day. It's what we call sanctification. This lifelong process of becoming more like Christ. Alright, so we will end it there. Thank you guys so much for coming. We appreciate your hospitality this weekend. And now you get to go listen to someone who uh, sounds a whole lot better than me. I need, a, I need a cool South African accent. Just make 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 me at least sound more intelligent, even if I uh, even if the content doesn't change. But thank you guys for coming. And now the phone is working.